So we're starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, and let me give you a little bit of background. So this is written by the Apostle Peter, and it's written in about, about uh, uh, 63, 64 AD, it's thought. Uh, so this is written after the book of Romans, which we just finished. The book of Romans obviously was written before Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, which was in about 62, 63 AD. So this may be during the time of Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, and that, that this is written. There are five messianic, five messianic epistles that were written to believers in Christ who were of Jewish origin. So if you're a believer in, in Jesus and you're of Jewish origin, sometimes that's referred to as being a Messianic Jew. Sometimes that's referred to as being a Hebrew Christian. All of those terminologies are used. If you were to go to Israel today, they would never call themselves Christians. They would call them, they, they, they don't even use the term Messianic that much. They mostly use, use the term uh, believers. That's what they would call themselves. And, and uh, there are five books five epistles that were written specifically to Jewish believers in Jesus. And then the other epistles were written to Gentile churches predominantly. We just finished the book of Romans, which was predominantly written to a Gentile church, although it's applicable to all of us, just like the book of Romans isn't only applicable to Gentiles. It's quite applicable to anybody who's in Christ, just like the books here. So, you have Hebrews, which we've already covered in this class, and, and if you've missed that, that's all up on my website, jmtour.com. It's also on, on iTunes and Spotify and, and lots of different media that you could get it on. But the book of Hebrews was written uh, uh, to, to Messianic Jews, and then James, uh, the, the, the epistle of James, that was written to Messianic Jews. That we already covered in this class. And then there's three other books. First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude, written to Messianic Jews, written to Jewish people who are believers. So those five books. So this is the third of the five. Hebrews, which we had learned, was written to. Uh, uh, it was written to believers who were living in the land of Israel, particularly in Judea near Jerusalem, who had been contemplating going back into uh, Jerusalem. And he was warning them, don't go back into Jerusalem. I mean, you, there's, 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 there's something coming that, that you don't want to be there. And so that was written by somebody living outside the land, written to people who were in the land. Then James was written by, by uh, James, the, the, the brother of the Lord, in the land. James was written in the land to people two Jewish believers who were living outside the land. Jewish believers living outside the land, any Jew, whether believer in Jesus or not, living outside the land of Israel, or some people would say Palestine, living outside that land, they're living in the diaspora. So if you're a Jew here today, you are living in the diaspora, in the dispersion, the dispersed group. There's, there's, uh, you, you're in the diaspora if you're outside that land, or I guess if you're outside Brooklyn, you're in, in the diaspora. So, so they're written to, so, so uh, uh, James was written by a believer in the land to people who were dispersed outside the land. First Peter and Second Peter are written by Peter, someone outside the land, to others who are outside the land, because at this point, Peter is in Babylon. 
He says he's in Babylon. Some people say Babylon was a code word for Jerusalem. Uh, not by Messianic scholars, not at all. They understood that Babylon was, at this time, was the center of Judaism. The center of Judaistic scholarship was in Babylon. There's a whole Talmud that came out uh, uh, a few hundred years later that called the ba- Babylonian Talmud from, that, from, from Babylon. So it was written by... So, so Peter, at this point, is living in Babylon. And prior to this, Peter... Peter was in the land. So if you look, if you look, for example, in, in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, right after the stoning, the killing of Stephen, uh, the, the first martyr, it says in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul <clears throat> was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so many people scattered from Judea, and Samaria. Many of the Jews scattered because of the persecution, but the apostles stayed. That was not a permanent staying. They then, many of them, over the years, left after that. And at this point, Peter writes, even at the end of this book, that he's writing from Babylon. And uh, um, so he's, he's outside the land, writing to believers who are also outside the land. And then Jude is written by a believer inside the land, writing to those who are outside the land. So that kind of gives you a perspective. So this is the third of the Messianic epistles. And, and uh, um, Peter, Peter uh, was, was the, the star apostle. He was the, the, the star disciple. He was the number one disciple because you have, uh, you, you have three groups of four apostles. And you see those, that grouping of fours, that, that the scriptures themselves group it in groups of four. Jesus himself put it in groups of four, and the leader from each of those four groups was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And of those three that were each over a, a group, Peter was the star in that the keys of the kingdom of heaven had been given to him. What he was going to open would be open, and no man could shut it. And he was the one who first preached the gospel in Jerusalem. Once he preached the gospel in Jerusalem, it was open. It was open. He was the one to first preach the gospel in Judea. The first one to open the door for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. Once Peter opened the door, then Paul could go and, 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 and then, then really go beyond the land. All of this, it was Peter that, with, with Cornelius that was first one to open the door to the Gentiles, the ministry to the Gentiles. Once that door was open, Paul could go. So Peter was, was really the, the top among the twelve. There was one leader among the twelve. He was the one who made the proclamation. He is the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said have, uh, 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 that this has come from, from, from heaven. God has revealed this to you. He was the one that made that proclamation. He was the one who said that he would die for Jesus. And he was the one who picked up the sword at, 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 uh, um, when Judas betrayed Jesus. He was the one that picked up the sword. But, uh, uh, interestingly, Jesus had told him to bring the sword. When he used the sword, he told him to put it away. And, uh, uh, and he was the one who had denied Jesus three times. Uh, he was also the one to confess Jesus three times. It's interesting. He denied Jesus three times. Then the cock crowed. And, and, uh, um, and Jesus pushed him into a confession of him three times. He said, do you love me? He says, I love you. 
Then again, he said, do you love me? He said, I love you. And so he was the one who allowed Peter to reconfess Jesus three times for each one of the denials. This is the guy who's writing, so he's a pretty important guy. And he's the one that's writing this message. So let's start reading this. Now, let me mention one other thing, that, that, that the Jewish believers, believers in Jesus, Jews who believed in Jesus, they struggled with two things. There were two main struggles in their lives. One was suffering persecution. They, they, had, they were undergoing persecution, suffering. And the other thing that they were undergoing is they were undergoing the exposure to false doctrine. They were false teachers. Those two things, and that's the theme of, of these epistles. You see, Hebrews, uh, James, and First Peter are all dealing predominantly with the suffering that they were going through and teaching them how to live in spite of their suffering. The, the next two books, Second Peter and Jude, are dealing with false doctrine. And so these are the, these are the topics, predominantly, how, how they're segregated. In this book, you have suffering mentioned 15 times. Suffering and persecution mentioned 15 times in this short five-chapter book. Uh, Ten times is mentioned glory. Suffering and glory. Suffering juxtaposed to glory. Suffering comes with glory. That's what he's talking about. So let's start, let's start uh, um, uh, reading this. Verse 1, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered among Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ, and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So he he opens up with this salutation. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So right away, he is established. He is in a position to be teaching us because Jesus committed the teachings to the apostles. That's what he did. He said, um, he, he, he told them, this is going to be committed to you. In fact, what we learn through this is we learn that Jesus said many things, taught us many things in the Gospels. The actual teaching that we have for the church comes through the apostles, through these epistles. Peter knows who he is. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he, he really he really recognizes who he is. And, and uh, you know, that, that's, that's an important thing here, to recognize who we are in Christ. Because a lot of times we walk around like, like you, you know, I'm, I'm really just a nobody here. You know, w- what all could I ever do? Uh, and uh, when we start taking hold of who we are in Christ, not that we are something special in ourselves, but who we are in Christ, it actually allows us to be much more productive as believers. So if all we go in thinking, oh, well, you know, it'd just be, wouldn't it just have been better if I were never born? You know, I'm just... It's very hard to have a successful Christian life like that. And so, for example, if you look, if you just turn the page over to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Look at the way he says, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. 
This is exactly what the scriptures do, exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. He's building them up to realize who they are. And then what happens is exactly what happens with us. We start realizing who we are, and we might, yeah. Hmm. And we start getting prideful in this. And then Jesus has to work with his disciples to, to, to say, look, you know, Satan has requ- requested to sift you. And, uh, uh, but I've prayed for you. And so we walk on this knife's edge, on this, this razor's edge, of where, where Jesus tries to prop us up to understand who we are in him. And then we become proud and he has to push us back the other way to remind us we're not much in ourselves. And so you see this, this dichotomy and, and what happens. And this is the standard life of the believer. It happens to everybody all the time. So you are not the only one that this happens to. Where, where you get encouraged in Christ and then all of a sudden you start, start becoming somewhat prideful. And then, then you go back the other way. But at least Peter, he recognizes who he is. Now, this portion in, in, in 1, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9... 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Many people love to quote that. <clears throat> but there's a second half to this sentence. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you are a chosen race, your royal priesthood, and, and uh, uh, your holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you can proclaim... So, so that you can proclaim His excellencies, the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. All of this has been given for us to be able <clears throat> to proclaim Him, to proclaim His name to others. Do you like that part of the verse too? I mean, that's, that's, another, that's the other half of that verse. That's why we are here. We are obliged to reflect the light of Christ we are obliged. Not everybody is an evangelist, but we all are obliged to speak up. I'm not an evangelist. I've always wanted to be an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist in that evangelists have an amazing talent, an amazing gift. I've prayed a lot about being able to share Christ with people and have them come to the Lord. Just this morning, one guy was sharing with me that one of, the, that one of his friends who's been an atheist all his life <clears throat> just recently gave his life to the Lord as, as, as this young man was on the phone with him. And we've prayed for this young man's friend. Many times he's brought his name up. And I was so excited to hear that, to hear that, that, that uh, this person in class led somebody else to the Lord, a friend of his who, who had been an atheist for many years, prayed for him for many years, and now he's given his life to the Lord. We are a holy na- nation, a royal priesthood set aside so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him. It's not just so that we can bask in all the great things that we have. It was, it's there so that we can proclaim Him. <clears throat> so, let's turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I serve at the pleasure of my Lord Jesus. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter says. I serve at the pleasure of my Lord I love to serve Jesus. Jesus is so good. You can, never, you can never just think about all the wealth of the greatness of Jesus. It is my pleasure, my honor to serve Him. It is my honor to undergo ridicule in His name. I serve at the pleasure of Jesus. Peter realized, <clears throat> look, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because if we start serving, 
in order to get accolades from people, in order to think people are going to like us more and things are going to work out better for us. Just wait. Things are going to turn. When our focus comes on Christ, I serve because of Jesus. I serve my Lord Jesus. Then regardless of whether the people appreciate me or not, I can continue serving because I am serving my Lord. It's not based on whether they appreciate me or not. I am serving my Lord. Once you get that focus, once you get that perspective, it helps you to serve those who are not easily loved. Some people, it's very easy to love them. Other people, I find it very hard to love them. And I have to really focus that I am not serving them in the sense of formally serving them. I am ultimately serving Christ. Ultimately, I am serving Christ because you will be asked by God and put in places where you have to serve people that don't even appreciate you, that belittle you. And uh, <clears throat> if, if you're a parent, you realize there are times you have to do things for your kids <clears throat> when they stop appreciating it. And, and uh, they may not appreciate it. They, and, and as a parent, you just, you just dig in. You, no, I got to do this. You know, I, I, I've got to... You know, your kid says, I don't want to go to bed. You say, okay, up to you. You know, you want to ruin your day? No, you pick them up and you put them in bed. I mean, this is what you do. And, and uh, uh, you, you have to do things to continue to, to serve, whether they appreciate it or not. It's just like this in Christian service. I serve at the pr- pleasure of my Lord. And Peter realizes this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pont- Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay, so he says, to those who reside as aliens, that means resident aliens. You are residing, you live in a foreign place now. You live outside the land. You live in the diaspora, that formal term, diaspora. You live there. And he says, to those of you uh, uh, who reside scattered throughout Pontus. So he, he names these five territories, Galatia, uh, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's all in Asia Minor, which today we call Turkey. It's just just north of the Mediterranean, just south of the Black Sea, right along in there, <clears throat> that region, just where, where Turkey is, which is, if you go straight north from Israel, through Lebanon, through Syria, and then you'll get up into this area where Turkey starts, and it wraps on around a little bit, then then starts moving to the west. That's the area that he's talking about. Some of the, these are all Roman provinces, and they speak Greek there. These are Roman provinces. Greek is spoken there, and uh, uh, and so so and some of these locations were, are locations where Paul had preached and started churches. <clears throat> so he names these five cities. He's writing a letter, one letter, singular. He's writing a letter to five cities. Well, how does one letter get to five cities? He had intended this to be an encyclical, meaning that this letter was to be read in the different churches, and then they would carry it to another church, probably making copies of it in that local church, and then moving it to the next church. This letter was to be read in those five churches, because when Israel left the land, when, when, when the, 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 the um, Jewish believers were scattered and they left the land, they were like sheep without a shepherd. <clears throat> and so they are now reliant upon instruction of the apostles, and that is coming to them in this form of letters. 
And so, so that's why he, he's calling them out here. <clears throat> then he says, he says uh, he, so he names these five regions, and he says, who are chosen, who are elect. This is the elect. This is the elect of God. Now, if you don't like the word election and chosen, you have to black out a lot of words in your New Testament because it is dripping, dripping with election, dripping with the word chosen or election, depending on, if you read the King James, it is the word election. If you read New American Standard like I'm reading, it uses the word chosen. They were chosen. They were chosen. So, uh, um, you know, if I go in the store and I choose a particular item, it's not like this item just jumped out at me and grabbed me. No, I chose it. I chose this item. They were chosen. We cover this a lot in Romans, end of Romans 8, and in Romans 9, we talked a lot about this. It's not just in Romans 9. It is all over the New Testament, all over the epistles you see this. They were chosen, who were chosen, who were elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They were elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This foreknowledge, we talked about it before when we were going through Romans chapter 9. Foreknowledge doesn't just mean you know what's going to happen. Foreknowledge means you know what's going to happen because of pre-planning. I knew that I would be here today, not because I'm a prophet, but because I planned it this way. I planned to be here at this time. And, and uh, so that's pre-planning. Foreknowledge takes on this, this, this understanding of pre-planning. They were planned to be according to the foreknowledge, according to the pre-planning of God the Father. And so, so uh, um, there, there's this omnipotence and omniscience. Remember we were working on that molecular computer. And we, this, this, this was this, this synthetic brain molecular computer. And these, these are the guys who programmed it. You've heard me talk about this before. So, so uh, um, they both did their PhD in my group. And we came up with these terms, omniscience, <clears throat> to know the whole structure. And, and omnipotence to be able to modify it at will. And so... so um, Anyway, this God, God knows everything. He was not surprised. Like, whoa, yes, that person received me. No, he knew it. He knew it already. He knew it was going to happen. And he said, you, you, you mean he could do it against my will? No, he doesn't go against your will. But he makes you will it. <clears throat> he gets you to will it. I mean, you, if you think you chose God on your own, you're wrong. If you think you chose God all by yourself, you're wrong. And so, so let, let's look at, uh, um, uh, we, we, co- we cover this, this portion before in, in um, uh, Romans, it's, it's in Romans chapter 3. Yeah, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to, through 12. This is now our state. This is who we are. There is none righteous, not even one. Could he have been more explicit than that? There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Okay, Lord, you made your point. There is nobody, nobody who is worthy of salvation. There is nobody who is seeking God. Nobody. In this entire mass of humanity, 
There is nobody who is seeking God. None. And what God does is he reaches into this mass and he selects. He elects. And through that election, through that foreknowledge, the will changes so that they seek God. This is the pattern in Scripture. You don't like it? Don't take it up with me. Fight with him about it. That's the way he has it. I'm just the messenger. This is the, this is the pattern you see in Scripture. It's not like, oh, that person was really good. They just started seeking God. No, there's nobody good. None. Zero. None. And you see this chosen, they, who were chosen, who were elected. You are in Christ because you are elected. Now, if you are here and you are not a believer in Christ, or if you are listening online, I think you are among the chosen. Meaning that you haven't chosen yet, but you better. Because you are among the chosen or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening online <clears throat> because if you were not among the chosen, you would have no interest in this. You'd be on the beach or you'd be out fishing. You'd be doing something else. You wouldn't be sitting in front of your computer watching you know, some guy on Zoom from Houston talking about this. You'd be totally uninterested. You are chosen. That's why when I go to share the Lord with people, they've either written to me that they want to hear about why I believe in the resurrection of Christ. Once they write to me, I know they're, they're among the chosen. So I go in there with every intent that they're going to get saved that day. That's why <clears throat> when I see somebody come and attend this class and go to the church service and then come back for the meal, I know they're among the chosen. I, every intent of mine when I'm sharing with them is they're going to give their life to the Lord that day. How do I know? Because if they weren't among the chosen, <clears throat> they'd be totally disinterested. That's why I can go in there with such confidence, because I know that they're among the chosen. If you're listening to me, if you're just there giving me your time, I mean, you're among the chosen. And so if you haven't received the Lord yet, <clears throat> let's get it done today. Just, just send me an email, tour at drjamestour.org. Send me an email. We will set up a time and I'll get with you and we'll do it. If you're here today, we're going to have a lunch in a few hours. Over that lunch, let me know. I'll be glad to share with you. That's what we do. But he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by his, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So what he tells us is this work of salvation is a work of the God the Father, it's a work of the Spirit, and it's a work of the Son of God. Salvation is God's foreknowledge, starts it off. The Spirit sanctifies, which means set apart, and Jesus does it by His blood. <clears throat> now, I ask you, if you paid for something, say, say uh, uh, you did something for somebody, <clears throat> and in doing that, you lost your arm. You know, you were really trying to help somebody out and your arm got caught in some machinery and you lost your arm. That now means something to you. What you did for that person <clears throat> cost you a lot. That means something to you. That came at great cost. And so if that person just kind of, well, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You'd be like, huh? <laughs> I just gave my arm for you. Jesus gave his blood. This is a very, very big deal. This, this, is, this is huge for Jesus. He got you here 
by His blood. And that's why we love Him. By His blood. His blood made this thing happening. Sprinkled with His blood. He's deeply, deeply invested in your salvation. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you, I urge you to come to know Him. Because the blood of Jesus has been poured out and sprinkled for you. For you. This is huge. Please come to Jesus today. Come to Him this day. Don't wait. How much worse does your life have to get? How many more broken relationships do you need? How many more divorces? How many more more broken children do you need to get you to come? Come to Him this day. Come to Him this day and then walk in obedience to Him. This is the beauty that we have in Christ. The beauty that we have in Christ. There's so much that He offers to us, that He gives to us. It says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, which means that the Spirit has set us apart because God foreknew this. He pre-planned it. The Spirit says, okay, I'll set this one apart. And then to obey Jesus Christ. This is not an obedience of works. This is not doing works to obey Jesus. This is the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And we see this same pattern of obedience of faith. And so this is written, for example, in in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his namesake. The obedience of faith. What he's talking about here is the obedience of faith. You see the same thing in Romans 16, 26. But now is manifested... And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. This is what he's talking about. That we obey this It's a whole obedience of faith. You see the same concept in John chapter 3, verse 36. The last verse in John chapter 3 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This is the obedience of faith. If you read the King James, it'll say, He who believes in the Son hath life, but he who believeth not shall be condemned. You know, it's really you know, quite strong. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Uh, this obeying the Son is, is the obedience of faith. This whole obedience of faith. Faith is huge. This is a huge thing. because And there's lots of things that come to us, <clears throat> lots of things that come our way that uh, uh, sometimes we, we, we may, or not, may or may not take hold of and have faith in. One, I want to close with this verse in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 3. It's an amazing portion. And I urge you to believe the Scriptures. I urge you to obey it. To believe it and to obey. Go undergo this, this, this obedience of faith. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may, may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had the good news preached to us. Just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I, I sworn my wrath, they will not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Jesus' works have been finished from the foundation of the world. He already knows what's going to happen. But he says right here, for in, it says, indeed, we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also. 
But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Even in believers, if you do not believe the word of God, you will not be able to get hold of these things. There's a gift that's given, and you're leaving it on the table. You cannot appropriate it without faith. I believe Jesus. I believe his work. I believe it is true. I know who has sent me, and I trust him. I trust him who has sent me. As Jesus said, I trust him. Speaking of his Father, I trust God. I trust Jesus. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I trust him. We get it by faith. Faith is something that we must walk in, the obedience of faith. If you walk around all the time, always doubting, oh, this is just, just, oh, you know, my life is just such a mess. Let me tell you something. You have to make a decision. I am going to walk by faith. I'm going to believe this word of God. This is what will make the difference for you to be an overcomer by faith. It's the obedience of faith. This obedience is what he's talking about. It's through faith. For unbeliever coming into the faith, they have to make this act of obedience through faith. For the believer walking in Christ, it is a constant walk of trusting him, believing in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We believe your word. Blessed be the name of Jesus, who poured out his blood for us. We shall be, Lord Jesus, forever thankful to you for your life, your blood that has been poured out for us. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. You have been so good to us. Thank you, Lord God, because you have been so good. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how good you've been. Father, for the unbelievers here, I pray, Lord, that they would be saved this very day. Lord, I pray that they'd reach out to me so that they can be saved and we can share the gospel with them and they come into the kingdom of God. Father, for those who are saved, that they would walk in the obedience of faith, that it is an act of faith, an act of obedience. Lord, do this in their lives, I pray. Let Jesus Christ be glorified. Let him be glorified. Glory be to his name. Lord Jesus, forever we will be thankful. Forever we're thankful for the blood that you poured out on our behalf. So kind, so gracious, so loving, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you die for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Lord, I pray for these young people. Do a great work in their lives so that they could realize that in Christ, in Christ they serve. They serve because of Jesus. Lord, that they would take hold in faith of all you have for them. And Lord, as they walk in this, as they walk in the truth, that they are partakers in this royal priesthood, partakers in this holy nation, that they would proclaim the excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the work that they've done. Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts and their lives to proclaim the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all your mercy. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Amen.